0: Welcome to the Commentary Magazine Daily Podcast. Today is Friday, July 23rd, 2021. I'm John Podor. it's the editor of Commentary Magazine. Interesting news for everybody. Our URL has changed. It was for many decades. Commentarymagazine.com. If you still type in commentarymagazine.com, you will get to Commentary Magazine. But our URL is now commentary.org. Commentary.org. Nice, simple, clean, efficient. Commentary.org if you are a subscriber and your login uses commentarymagazine.com for any reason, which it shouldn't, but if it does, you don't have to change anything. You don't have to change anything. But commentary.org is, is the, you know, you can add it to your feed, and you can do whatever you want with it. Commentary.org. We have to get used to it, too. It's the, it's the, uh, here's what happened. Just to tell you really quickly, when commentary set up its website... The idea at the time was you had to be a dot com or you stunk and you were bad and it was bad and you would not be a Siri because dot com was the term. And uh, now, of course, that's no longer the case. And dot org is the appropriate uh, dot blank for nonprofits. Commentary is a nonprofit. We are now commentary.org. So. Please join us at Commentary.org. If you're not a subscriber, go to Commentary.org and subscribe. If you're not a merch owner, go to Commentary.org, click on merch, buy some of the merch here. But you should subscribe. That's one of the ways you can support the podcast. You should be reading us. You should be reading the magazine. You should be reading everything that we provide to you. And you should be paying for the hours of entertainment that we give you here every week uh, on the podcast. Uh, the entertainers, not uh, including me, are of course associate editor Noah Rothman.
1: Hi, Noah. Hi, John. To which I would add, iTunes reviews. Review us positively on iTunes, not negatively, positively.
0: <laughs> Senior writer Christine Rosen. Hi, John. Hi, Christine. Hi. And executive editor Abe Greenwald. Hi, Abe. Hi, John. We're late. I'm 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 discombobulated. I'm We're about to go to Jackson. I'm about to go look at Jackson Pollock's house for some reason and see where he drizzled paint. So uh, let's get going here and talk about how Philadelphia is now the latest uh, of the uh, municipalities to announce that everybody is supposed to wear a mask uh, at the time. At the same time that if you look up numbers of people in the ICUs in New York City, America's largest city with 8.4 million people. There are 52 COVID patients in the ICUs in New York City, despite this incredible surge of the Delta variant and the great dangers posed uh, there, too. Um, Vivek Murthy, the Surgeon General, again said, you know, if you're living in a home with a kid under 12 who can't get vaccinated, you should be wearing a mask in your own house, in front of your own children. You should be masking yourself as a vaccinated person in front of your children. Uh, which I don't believe most of us did during the pandemic when we had children and no one was vaccinated. These people are crazy. They are driving us crazy. We are being gaslit and being driven insane. Uh, And I, meanwhile, uh, I notice that um, people are increasingly, the sort of anti-vaxxers are increasingly kind of very public about their anti-vaxxing. Like you have this weird phenomenon of these athletes, NFL athletes saying things like, I may have to resign. I may not have to not play football anymore. If they're going to make me vaccinate, it's a matter with you
1: get vaccinated, you know? Well, but that's, that's because of a rule that was implemented by the league, which yes. I think makes a ton of sense, <clears throat> which suggests that if you're, if your team is responsible for an outbreak, you will forfeit the game. Um, Now, how do they identify who's responsible for an outbreak? I mean, there's some questions remain, but it puts the onus on the institution to enforce vaccinations, which is not a government entity. It's not a public mandate. um, It's private individuals contracting with other private individuals for for the, the benefit of their institution. It makes perfect sense to me as an inducement to get vaccinated, which there have to be.
0: Well, the inducement to a football player, yeah. So there's a negative inducement, which is, Your team will forfeit and you're not going to get paid that week. That's what the NFL says. So the NFL set this up, but it's not the point that I'm trying to make. What I'm trying to make is that anti-vaxxers are now uh, acting like victims. They are the victims of a terrible conspiracy against them. Now, uh, the only people who are going to be victims from anti-vaxxers who don't get vaccinated are other non-vaccinated people who we, I think we can say unless you are under the age of 12 or even unless less you're under the age of 18 or the child of a of an anti-vaxer who doesn't want you to get vaxed uh you you have bear no responsibility but every every anti-vax person every non-vax person in the United States is now effectively an anti-vaxer i I believe I don't know how else to put this okay maybe they're waiting they're waiting to see if there's a permanent. If the, you know, if the emergency ends and this is becomes a, a permanent vaccination, they're waiting to see whether the data come out that and they're waiting to see, you know, what? wait to see fine. Congratulations. You can all get you get each other sick. Now, how it's about enough. this? How it's about enough this, already. Though? I am not putting on a mask to protect them from me. I don't get I'm not going to get COVID and I'm not
1: going to transmit COVID. But I think a lot of people think like you. I think a lot of people who are vaccinated say that this doesn't make any sense for me, particularly considering the numbers. We're a month into this new search began in June. Case rates are still going up. Seven day average. Now is 45,000 people. Yes. On the 22nd, we had 63,000 new cases. Deaths are not corresponding. Deaths peaked. The average seven day rolling average of death, uh, deaths due to this new COVID surge peaked on July 14th. It's been trending down ever since now. God forbid, caveats abound. Hospitalizations lag, death rates lag. But in the UK, the uh, direct coupling of case rates and death rates has been totally severed. Uh, why shouldn't it be the case here, where we're six out of 10 people over the age of 12 are fully immunized? Uh, we may be, and Scott Gottlieb says we're probably at the tail end of this thing. We've, we're farther into this outbreak than we think we are, and it may dissipate just as municipalities across the country are re-implementing mitigation measures that don't make any sense. I don't think they they know what they're playing with.
2: So wouldn't, isn't there an opportunity for this sort of um, kind of very uh, real world vaccine inducement message here um, that goes entirely against the idea of, okay, we need to mask up again. Um, Isn't this the time for public health officials Biden administration, everyone else to say, well, sadly, we see from the numbers now that those who don't get vaccinated, those who are vaccinated are not ending up in the hospital. They are not dying and they are out living uh, uh, productive, engaged, free lives uh, without masks. Unfortunately, those who uh, have refused the vaccine, they're the ones that remain getting sick. They are in some cases dying. This is the time, folks, to decide which side you want to be on. The rest of us are going to be out there continuing to have fun and live our lives. And those who haven't gotten vaccinated are going to continue in, in greater numbers than us, much greater, to go to the hospital, get sick, and in some cases die. And that's the message. And that's it.
3: But everyone's going to bring up the kids, and this is where you see the 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 battle again over masking in schools in the fall, already heating up in in uh, a lot of cities and and a lot of uh, district school districts because now they really can say that's the only group because there's no you know there's first of all there's still only emergency youth. Authorization. So there are still people clinging to that. Like the, I'll, I'll get it when the FDA finally approves it, which will probably come in a little bit. But for the, since kids under 12 can't yet be vaccinated, that's what I'm hearing certainly in the DC metro area from, from acquaintances and just in the kind of mainstream media uh, trickle down effect is. Well, if you don't wear a mask, even if you're vaccinated, you want children to die. When you point out, of course, the statistics, which have not changed in terms of children's risk, because we know although it's more contagious, the Delta variant, thank goodness, does not seem to be more deadly, it doesn't matter. They've fastened on this population that can't be vaccinated yet and said, if you don't all wear a mask, you're going to pass this to them, and they could die. So that, that's, the, that's the message they're going with now, and you can see it. We talked about it with the American Academy of Pediatrics earlier this week, but it's, it's now spreading like wildfire through the sort of so-called sensible liberal approach to the pandemic, and it's, it's worrisome. I want to talk about
0: uh, Surgeon General Vivek Murthy, uh, who has two very small children. I would like to see footage from his ring camera as to whether or not in his house he is wearing masks around his own children because if he isn't he's a he's a filthy hypocrite who is telling people to do things that he's not and if he is he's insane and there's there there's no i mean he can do whatever he wants but this is craziness you want to you want to live around your children with masks on, you think this is a rational thing to do when you are a vaccinated person. Here's a number for you. In Washington, D.C. Wait. D.C. Health. I don't know what D.C. Health is. D.C. Health may not be Washington. It's the
3: city's... It's the health department for, okay. for the city, okay. basically.
0: But I know this number doesn't make... Of 375,000 fully vaccinated individuals, D.C. has recorded... 200 breakthrough cases, or just 0.05% of all fully vaccinated individuals. 200 cases out of 376,000. These are breakthrough cases, and all we keep hearing about the breakthrough cases is that they are mild. They They are milder than a cold. That's how mild they are. Now, could they get long COVID? Uh, which is this condition that we keep hearing about, the dangers, the horrors of long COVID. I don't really think that we yet have it spelled out that long COVID is a real attributable condition as yet. It seems to be a panoply of symptoms that some people seem to have. But we are now trying to avoid long COVID. Uh, Again, 200 people breakthrough in in DC out of 376,000 vaccinated people. What is going on with the healthcare public health people here? Why again, I mean you get to conspiracy theory. Why are they pushing this? And the only thing you can come to is is that, you know, they this is the most fun they've ever had. This is this is for them they are at the red hot center of 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 american life and the minute that they say all right you know what yes there's the delta variant and vaccinated unvaccinated people are behaving irresponsibly and manifestly crazy and they're ge- going to get each other sick and congratulations to them and we really what they should be doing is having meetings saying approve the vaccine for people for kids under 12 but instead they're they're you know so instead of saying what they're saying the minute that they say the pandemic is effectively over the only people who are getting covid are people who aren't vaccinated we don't care about them anymore as a public policy matter we don't care about them they don't care about us we don't care about them they but don't care about is, themselves i mean i'm not an if immunologist they don't do
1: that they're over. but then they're done isn't they're
3: done that before. the most
1: effective smartest public health strategy at this point
3: we're erecting
1: all these boundaries around unvaccinated people, we're stigmatizing them, we're punishing them, we're forcing them into their own spaces where they can congregate amongst themselves exclusively. Isn't the smart idea to erase all those boundaries? And it doesn't satisfy any emotional need to punish these people for their selfishness, but it also justifies and it, it maximizes the benefits associated with herd immunity, which we should be close to achieving at this point with 60% of the public fully vaccinated, you need to integrate the unvaccinated population with the vaccinated population. So there are fewer vectors of transmission, am I wrong?
3: No, but that we're also missing though a very large constituency that's not in public health, uh, not public health professionals who, who, in the interest of never letting a crisis go to waste, don't also don't want the crisis to end. I mean, I w- I'm thinking of like Senator Amy Klobuchar, who's now proposing legislation to ban free speech in terms of you know health misinformation being spread. I mean, if you look at the kind of power grabs that are that elected officials are still interested in pursuing, the crisis has to still be a crisis in order to justify those. And the Delta variant fits perfectly with that crisis. They wrap themselves in the we're protecting the children mantle and continue to, to you know, overreach in terms of what they would normally be allowed to do as elected officials. So I think that there is beyond the public health folks, there are plenty of people are happy to see this kind of crisis mentality continue. And we've, I mean, we've talked about this for more than a year. I mean, they have incentives, real incentives to do so so where are we 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 are on
0: these bizarre tracks we have public health officials in la county and in philadelphia the i think it's the fifth largest city in the united states who are mandating that people wear masks uh inside vaccinated and unvaccinated people isn't Philly a recommendation
1: I think Philly's just a recommendation no, for now. Okay, Same I'm with Las Vegas and a variety of other questions.
0: Okay, I apologize then. I apologize to Philadelphia for not for the fact that it has yet to violate. I mean, yeah,
1: the, yeah, the key word is yes.
0: It's brotherly love uh, conditions. But, you know, one of our favorite uh, COVID hysterics, uh, Dr. Liana Wen, who writes for the Washington Post and appears on CNN, said this bizarre thing, which is she said, we have to have mask band-aids. Because you can't trust that people who are unvaccinated won't just say they're vaccinated and then they won't wear their mask. And then so we need everybody to wear a mask because we can't, you know, trust the honor system. I'm not going to get COVID from these people. 200 cases out of 376,000. Once again, we are talking about a number that is so small that you cannot express it as a fraction. 0.05%. Like it's, you can come up with a fraction. That's like five out of a thousand or five out of 10. I don't even know what it is. The hell with them. Enough. Enough of Liana Wen saying, I need to know that everybody who was walking around a mall is vaccinated. It's none of her business. If people want to go get COVID and get sick, they can go get COVID and get sick. That was not the case before the vaccines. It is very important to stipulate that we did not understand transmissibility and we did not, and we had all sorts of reasons to think that. You know your your relative age, your relative weight, and all of that were going to make you far more at risk. But we did not have any defenses or protections outside of some of
1: these reaches that everybody went to. Right? Abe? I watched a, uh, a briefly. I watched a, a home video produced by CNN that featuring Dr. Wynne and her family, who also has very young children. Um, that was hosted on CNN's website, which featured her and her family doing what you should be doing if you have young children, which is never going inside never going to an indoor restaurant staying outside all the time constantly um, and you know preparing food at home and doing a lot of mitigation measures and strategies and um, you yeah, know it seems excessive to us but it's it's no more excessive than any other lifestyle choice it's it's a lifestyle choice this is sort of like a um, eating organic or you know uh, taking a lot of supplements or being an exercise freak it is just another lifestyle choice for these for these sort of people it has nothing to do with public health
3: but it's a lifestyle choice they want to impose on the rest of us. And that's the, I, I mean, I'm honestly, this is. You could is say not, the same about organic food eaters yeah, and supplement takers. It's true. But there's, but there's, so there's this real dilemma that, I mean, I'm facing as a parent, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners will be facing in the fall too. So, you know, the, my kids, my, my kids are fully vaccinated. Most, a, a lot of, I hope many, many of their uh, classmates are as well in high schools where they hadn't, didn't have any in-person classes last year because of, thanks to the teachers unions and our incompetent mayor. And now they're basically saying you should be grateful we're opening it all and you're going to have to wear masks and not complain about it and do all of this safety theater because we want our unvaccinated teachers to be protected. We want all these other people who refuse vaccination to be protected. And I, you know, I've talked to my kids. I'm like, this is a ridiculous rule. This is one of those rules. And I'm a rule follower as as by nature. Like I'm one of those people. I stop. I come to a complete stop at the four way stops. I'm that person. And this is driving me crazy because I have to say to my kids, sometimes these rules are not really in our best interest and they're, they're, they're pursued for reasons other than actual public safety. And I mean, it's been fascinating, but I worry about all of the. All of the messages we're sending, not only the fear, the fear mongering for the younger children who are told that it's dangerous to leave their homes, but for older kids who we're trying to raise in a culture of respect for, you know, some respect for authority and rule following and and whatnot. And this is kind of this is how faith in institutions crumbles. It's it's family by family, person by person when we're faced with these sorts of bizarre regulations.
2: But, you know, so this gets to something often throughout our, our discussions during the pandemic, we've sort of paused to wonder where the public is in relation to us. You know, uh, how representative are our feelings um, as, as applied to the larger uh, American public? And I, I'm honestly like 50-50 on where I think um, blue states and uh, liberal cities are going to come down uh, in terms of their own uh, public behavior, in the event that mandates, mask mandates resume everywhere, I mean, to what degree are people who, I, in you know, anecdotally, when I speak to people, I, I actually don't know of anyone who is who is afraid to get COVID anymore, either, because I'm talking to someone who is anti-vax and doesn't and has decided that. It doesn't that their chances are minuscule, or that they're healthy enough that it won't kill them, or whatever their thinking is, or because someone or because they've gotten the vaccine and feel secure that that they're not going to get it, or if they do get it, it, it won't have a big effect. So so I, I I don't really know. Having had this sort of taste of of freedom, lucky us for the past you know month two months, being able to walk around without a mask, um, how much of a nuisance are people willing to make themselves now? Uh, should the mask mandates come down again? Are they willing to make scenes? Are they going to risk getting kicked out of places, looking like um, like uh, rebels, or oh, worse, looking like uh, Republicans? You know, uh, uh, you know, r- ready for media stories, um, or, or are they going to comply? I, and I and I truly don't know the answer. Uh,
0: you know what? I, I know the answer to. I know the answer to what to do uh, with a with a with a, a painful back when you are working at home, and that's the X chair. You know the X chair. I talked to you about the X chair. It's the luxury supercar of office chairs, and it's got that patented dynamic variable lumbar support, already best in class, with incredible responsive low back support. And now the LMAX temperature regulation, patent pending, takes your seating comfort to a whole new level. Look, if you're feeling warm, you can set your LMAX to cooling. If you're feeling hot or you're feeling, you're feeling cool because the air conditioning is too cold, you can set LMAX to heating. Uh, you're feeling stressed, turn on the uh, massage therapy and relax. Imagine regulating your body temperature and getting massage therapy while you're working. It's crazy. It's fantastic. There has never been a better time to ditch that old no-name office chair. Boost your productivity. Treat yourself to the joys of X-Chair. Go to xchaircommentary.com now. That's the letter X, the word chair. Commentary.com or call 1-844-4X-Chair to save $100 off your offer your order, excuse me, X chair has a 30 day guarantee of complete comfort and you can finance your purchase for as little as $30 a month. Go to X chair now and use code X wheels for free X wheel blade casters, X chair commentary.com. Okay. Having said all this about how awful this public health regime, which was already awful is becoming in the wake of these nonsensical efforts to force People who are not uh, at risk of COVID uh, into protocols that will not protect them or make them se- or make them healthy or anything like that. Um, I also want to talk about the increasing phenomenon that I think we see in, let's say, some of the defenses or people who are speaking uh, in uh, in um, defensive terms about people like DeAndre Hopkins, the football player, who said, "I may have to." quit football because I don't want to have the vaccine. Um, There does seem to be a phenomenon that I was trying to, I was trying to parse this out. And I think this is how you have to uh, describe it. Uh, The anti, anti, anti anti-vaxxer. Okay. So if you're an anti-vaxxer against vaccines, if you're an anti, -anti anti-vaxxer, you're against the people who are against vaccines. If you're an anti, anti, anti anti-vaxxer, you are against the people, wait, no, excuse me, that's right, is that, is that right? Okay, if you're an anti-anti-anti-vaxxer, you are against the people who are against the people who are against the people who are against vaccines. And uh, this is a way of not being an anti-vaxxer yourself, but uh, expressing sympathy for anti-vaxxers. So we have this uh, schizophrenic phenomenon of Sean Hannity, on monday or tuesday making a heartfelt appeal on his show to people to get the vaccine and that apparently yesterday on his radio show saying he's not encouraging anybody to get the vaccine why is this happening what is going on how I mean- about the fact that half the republicans in the house still won't answer whether or not they've gotten vaccinated They are worried about the opinion of the anti-vaxxers. They don't want to contribute to an atmosphere of hostility to anti-vaxxers. So they don't want to be, they don't want to support the anti-anti-vaxxers. So they are effectively behaving as anti-anti-anti-vaxxers, as are many voices on the right who, uh, so I want to separate us as people who are, uh, Anti-vaxer, but we're also anti. Uh, we're we're, no, we're anti, so, Excuse me. I, we're we're anti
1: anti Anti-vaxers. We're right. I, we or are 5 anti-
0: five iterations back. This so is like the sequence. Don't like anybody. In, this is the sequence We don't like anybody except the where Madeline
1: Kahn and Tim Curry are arguing about <laughs> how many bullets are left in the gun. Yeah. One plus two plus two plus one plus one.
3: This um, podcast yeah, you know, always
1: gets in trouble with math, so we should math just is bad, <laughs> very bad math. Um, It's quite clear that there's a constituency on the right that believes they're being coerced into this sort of thing. There was a viral clip yesterday about this guy who's just coming out of being intubated, still has oxygen on, is talking about how he will never, ever, ever, ever get vaccinated under any circumstances. And guess what? We're going to have to learn to live with that. It's never going to go away. There's a sentiment on the right and on the left, but they don't get covered for some reason, that rejects the idea of coercion of state coercion under any circumstances whatsoever as an infringement on their individual personal liberty. Now, I think they're making a dumb decision. I don't think they've rationally thought this out or, or that their liberty is being infringed upon in any way, but they do. And society will have to figure out a way to accommodate these people because coercion isn't working, inducements aren't working, incentives isn't working. It's not gonna work.
2: But um, here's what we're not going to be able to live with, even though I agree with everything you said people having kids moving forward their anti-vaccine sentiment is going there's it's going to be much more widespread than we have seen since before the, the pandemic since before, even if there are the recent waves of of anti-measles vax and all that stuff it's going to be so much worse now because it's so completely thinkable now where it wasn't to have just hordes and hordes of people say, "No, I don't trust vaccines. I'm not. I'm not going to do it. I'm going to take my chances," um, and that is something that will affect everyone. That's
0: great. Yeah. I, I, you're you're absolutely right, and it's just fantastic uh, that this. Um, a miraculous application of the very uh, which is not by the way really what the mRNA vaccines are about but this miraculous application of the idea that you get a tiny spot of disease to stimulate your body to attack the disease and therefore you will have this uh, resistance to the disease maybe for the rest of your life or certainly for decades or something like that uh, this is a miraculous thing and uh, and it is very old people were Trying to expose themselves to smallpox in the 18th century to prevent themselves from getting smallpox. People did this with mumps. I mean, the classic thing was, you know, my, my, I had mumps as a baby, my, before the mumps vaccine was available, my mother had my sister sit in a room with me so they could get it. This is, the oldest of medicine, right? The mRNA vaccine does something different. It's it's it, um, uh, which is I think one of the reasons why it is susceptible to this idea that something you know magical and evil is going on. But I mean, yeah, you're absolutely right that we are we are moving into this and the and this the phenomenon of the anti 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 vaxer uh, on the right, the sympathetic voice or the people who are sympathetic to people. Uh, who are being attacked for not getting the vaccine or whatever it is, um, are effectively fellow travelers of the anti-vax movement and are spreading the gospel of anti-vax, though they will claim they are not. And so, you know, uh, I don't know. Let's see where we are in 2035 when, I mean, we've already had the phenomenon of these measles outbreaks in California from among kids whose parents refuse to get them vaccinated. Now, again, you know this is a very we're, we're in a this is a very interesting set of phenomena. We are we are uh, very much believers in the notion that government should not be coercive. But the whole theory of the government not being coercive, because it shouldn't, and all of that, is also based on the principle that a self governing citizenry is prudent and left to its own devices will, you know, will not like commit suicide, you know, will not sort of go around committing suicide or putting, or, you know, or getting their, putting their kids in positions where they can get dis- disfiguring uh, and monstrous diseases from which they will never recover. I mean, well, that, this is a new wrinkle.
3: Some of these kids have died. There have been infants who are not yet eligible for vaccination in California who've died as a result of the parents who haven't vaccinated their children, them being exposed to, to these diseases. So it's not even just that they just get sick. And as someone whose sister lives in Northern California, and I contracted whooping cough as an adult uh, when I after visiting her, they have a very they had a very high outbreak of whooping cough in her region because they weren't vaccinated against it. I mean, it's not a joke. But these, I mean, they're risking others' lives by not getting vaccinated um, to some extent. And I think with COVID, that's not the case right now with the kids. But you know, if you have a kid in school, you have to, there's mandatory vaccinations. If, If the FDA approves this, It will it possibly could become a mandatory vaccination, although I'll add that flu vaccination shots every year are not required by many school systems. So they'll have to make a a determination about whether the it's important enough to make it mandatory. But that's coming that that that's the likely outcome of the FDA approval process. And it would it would make a lot of these discussions much easier. But I I agree. I think the anti-vax population among parents is going to be much larger. And that's not a good thing.
0: Well, the, the the fact that this has all become, you know, this has all become a, a, a substitute for partisanship and ideological positioning and stuff like that for a lot of people, not for everybody. And we keep saying that, you know, there is this bizarre insistence on the part of um, on the part of liberals claim that the problem here is, you know, Tucker Carlson and Fox News and, you know, irresponsible right wing media. You know, peddling anti vax information when we know that, you know, African American populations that are not listening to Tucker Carlson and Fox News have comparably low rates of vaccination. And again, we're supposed to think, or we were told months and months and months ago, that we had to understand that because of the Tuskegee experiments and things like that. But come on already. Come on with that. People are deciding they're not. They don't want to get vaxxed for whatever reason. And so, as Holman Jenkins said earlier this week in the Wall Street Journal, you're either going to be vaccinated or you're going to get COVID. That is clearly what is going to happen over the next year, year and a half, and w- there will be a hundred percent of the population <laughs> that is either vaccinated or has been through COVID. And the good news, as Scott Gottlieb said this morning, is that every piece of evidence that we have shows that if you get COVID, you have antibodies in your system six months or longer out from getting COVID, thus making you effectively
3: immune. And just just a point on the the, the sort of skepticism among African-Americans in particular about vaccination, their rationale which is the mistrust of of like not trusting the experts or the government to to do what's in their best interest It's the exact rationale that you see a lot of the anti-vaxxer Trump voters making as well. It's the same argument. I think what's so frustrating when you watch these discussions in the mainstream media is that one group making that argument is considered illegitimate and ignorant and the other is is considered the opposite. And that's the, in, in fact, public health messaging should say of both groups, you guys are both arguing the same thing. And here's why we want to persuade you that you're wrong, not that you're, Idiots, not that you're foolish, none of these insults. Just this is something that you, is an understandable impulse in a, in a country this large with a state that's this powerful. However, here are the reasons why we want to reassure you, et cetera, et cetera. But it, they're making the same argument. They really are.
0: I'm going to say it again. It's been seven months. If people aren't getting vaccinated, they're not going to get vaccinated. The only way they're going to get vaccinated is if they know somebody who gets COVID and they're, and they, and the person who gets COVID says, don't be an idiot like me, go get, go get vaccinated. We keep hearing this anecdotally from people that they, they get vaccinated after they hear somebody, you know, like had a rough time with COVID or they know someone who had COVID or they, or or, or there's something that goes on that, that convinces them to change their minds. But unless there is an event that convinces them to change their minds it's probably not going to happen anymore. So they're going to get it, or they're not going to get it. But we are not responsible for them. And the, the, of course, then then you have the interesting horror part, which is okay. So yeah, are we going to? What's the healthcare? What's the what's the national healthcare implications of this? So far, it turns out not many. I mean, that's the funny part. When you hear this, like you hear this, I'm worried. I'm worried. Says the mayor of Austin. I'm worried. That hospitalizations are increasing, but they're not. But I mean, they're increasing by a tiny margin. All this is based on fearful expectations of a spike, and it's been a month or six weeks since the Delta variant popped up. And as Noah says, the case rates are increasing, and everything else is. And deaths and hospitalizations are up infinitesimally. I mean, you know, again, in terms of the whole population. I mean. There are 52 COVID patients in ICUs in New York City. 52!
1: Yeah, we're talking about really dark blue Democratic-governed cities and public health officials who only socialize with themselves and talking heads whose only interaction with the public is on Twitter. So all of them are getting this feedback that suggests everybody's going to love this. Not only do they want the return of mitigation measures, they're going to heap laurels on us for, for reimposing these restrictions on them. And I think they're all misleading themselves in a really in a really detriment, politically detrimental way. Um, the notion that the voting publics of these cities are going to rush to the polls to reward this sort of behavior, this onerous imposition on them, um, in places that even bother to observe it in the event that, that they do observe it, which I think is probably going to be localized, highly localized, strikes me as fanciful. I don't have any data to support that. I don't have any polling data that suggests the public is going to, you know, brush polls who who say that you know you need to return to masking it doesn't exist there's a there's a desirability bias around saying well this is necessary this is good everybody loves this sort of thing but i don't think it's true i don't think it's real I, i think the public is going to react with visceral frustration if if they have to abide by restrictions for no discernible reason other than to protect themselves from the irresponsible which doesn't make any sense either
0: um you know, dealing with statistics like the ones that I'm offering you about about hospitalization rates and breakthroughs and all of that, people who can crunch these numbers and give you a sense of how numbers, uh, you know, large scale government reported numbers interact with how we do what we do on a daily basis, I'm awash with admiration for such people. The guy, one of the guys I know best who does this the best, is David Bonson of the Bonson Group. Who does this had did this with COVID throughout 2020 and uh, and and does this every day in the DCtoday.com, his daily newsletter, and in dividendcafe.com, his weekly newsletter, um, where he crunches the numbers, uh, the macroeconomic numbers, and gives you a sense of why policymakers are doing what they're doing and when what they do seems to be in conflict. With the very numbers that they themselves report and that they try to make policy based on. It is illuminating, it is uh you know eye-opening. Uh, that's why David Bonson has three billion dollars under management with his bi coastal management firm. Um, and why people trust him with their money and why I trust him with the analysis that he provides me daily and weekly so go to dividendcafe.com subscribe to david bonson's weekly and daily newsletters the bonson group the antidote to the intellectual spaghetti of the financial services and management business um all right so we keep to it's covid 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 but uh i i want to now just uh, talk about uh, media and covid so uh I was listening to NPR this morning as I was driving somewhere, and there was a story about a tale of two states, New Hampshire and Massachusetts. They border each other, as you may know. And, you know, New Hampshire has a way lower unemployment rate than Massachusetts. And apparently John Sununu, the governor of New Hampshire, who is uh, noodling a run against Maggie Hassan in the Senate race uh, and is tied with her in polling which I think, again, given what we know about polling beans, he's probably ahead of her. Um, uh, The Republican is kind of needling his fellow Republican, Larry Hogan, the not Larry Hogan. I'm sorry. What's his name? The uh, Baker. Baker, Charlie Baker, excuse me, the Republican governor of Massachusetts. By saying, look, our unemployment rate is half of yours. And you know what we did? We relaxed. We never really had these bad COVID restrictions. And we relaxed all of our COVID restrictions two months before you did. And you know what else I did? I ended the unemployment, the state unemployment benefit, when the federal government, uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, what did it do? It extended the federal uh, $300 a week unemployment benefit. I ended the state's unemployment benefit because I did not want to give people an incentive to stay home. And you know what? It's worked. It's worked. They, they're they not home. Uh, New Hampshire has a low unemployment rate, and Massachusetts' unemployment rate is, is relatively high. And, and NPR's reporter reported this in kind of corkscrew reverse. It's like, why is this fair? It just doesn't seem to be fair that Massachusetts, which was so responsible in the way it handled COVID and unemployment, is being punished by, you know, by this reality. It's not fair that John Sununu should be making fun of Massachusetts. After all, didn't Massachusetts do what it was supposed to do? Hasn't it provided unemployment benefits? Hasn't it? And then they find some economist at the university of massachusetts at you know pasquaxi a bum place a place i never even heard of you know who says well we have a lot of minorities here aha okay oh boy you know because also we're more urban than they are so people were living together a lot and so there was more covid because people live together in cities and there was more covid and so you know Hmm, you know, and minorities, and you know, and and that's just you know the way it is, and so, uh, it was insane and fascinating because this is it was one of those like Fox Butterfield moments. The Fox Butterfield moment being, of course, uh, more you know, uh, as as punishment increases, uh, there seems to be less crime on the streets. I mean I, you know this was a famous New York Times story from the late 1990s you know as more people go to prison there's less crime on the streets that shouldn't happen according to Fox Butter that shouldn't have been happening according to Fox. but everybody else read it and got yes well that's totally logical so anyway
3: but that but if you if you if you use logic and you see that you know you the recidivists are finally Locked away and stop committing crimes. That that's good. Fewer crimes. You're not getting at the systemic causes, the root causes, all those things that have now become the way that we talk about things like crime, the way that we talk about anything related to economic in- inequality. I will note that unemployment claims are up again. Right? I mean, we we have this. We have we have restaurants and other retail places desperate for workers. There was a very kind of horrifying story in in the New York post uh, recently about a camp that actually had to close early because it it, it was understaffed and the staff that it did have were clearly incompetent and untrained because whoever ran the camp was desperate for workers and couldn't find them till the last minute. And everything went, went south for the poor campers, but this is a real problem. And we, and, you know, we, we keep hearing these promises about the economy, uh, roaring back as Biden promised us, and we don't see the evidence and the logic is pretty clear. Give people money to sit at home and not work. Why would they go out and seek jobs in the labor market?
0: I just think this is part and parcel of what, Noah, you you, you were talking about in, in, large, in large bore about uh, whether Democratic politicians and blue state people actually understand what it is that people who are not already firmly lodged in their camp hear if they hear them talk, uh, and that they are having a conversation that is uh, in which there are so many bubble suppositions that they don't know what they sound like if you don't if you aren't drinking their Kool Aid, and this seems to be a greater and greater problem as everybody retreats into their you know media bubbles and all that but it was always true it was always fox butterfield was you know 25 years ago uh not not now um uh but i just wonder like is there was there is there an editor at npr who heard that story and said you know i think maybe we need to edit this a little bit because you're 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 reporting on how Ah, uh, New Hampshire is having a better go of it, uh, and they were they were looser on COVID than Massachusetts, and they were tougher on unemployment benefits in Massachusetts. And everything's going their way, and things aren't going Massachusetts' way. D- shouldn't we sort of maybe analyze that not from the perspective of poor Massachusetts, but maybe what lessons are to be drawn from the behavior of New
2: Hampshire? What um, I mean—that's also the lesson of Florida for a year straight. I mean, that's mm-hmm. what we witnessed. You know. So they, you know, instead of being able to report on the relative success of Ron DeSantis' handling of 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 COVID and and Florida staying, you know, open and and somewhat dynamic, um, they had to sort of concoct all sorts of uh, scandals about not revealing true numbers, you know, uh, 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 you know, uh, hidden deals with with with. Uh, with chains about uh, vaccine distribution, you know, because you couldn't just come out and say, hey, this this seems to have worked. Yeah, it's not just COVID though, I wish it it was,
1: but it's, you know, NPR is perfectly, uh, the perfect indication of this sort of temptation on the left, NPR has become utterly unlistenable over the last year, because every issue, every subject must be subsumed into the national conversation on race, in which there is only one side, there is no dissension, no dissent allowed from the preferred narrative. And their preferred narrative, we learned in 2020 and our learning in 2021 due to polling data, is not really all that well received by American minorities. If you are a white progressive, affluent white progressive in, in an urban or suburban setting, that NPR is speaking to you. But they're not necessarily speaking to the people for whom they presume to speak, uh, particularly on racial issues, on policing issues, and when talking about COVID, on mitigation strategies. Um, I, they're talking themselves into a cul-de-sac, um, in part because they don't allow any sort of dissent. Remember back in, the, in 2017, 2018, there was this media-wide effort to sort of understand how they lost the conversation, how they lost the national conversation. They were speaking only to themselves. They had one outcome from the 2016 election they were prepared for. Anything else was psychologically devastating, and it was. And they committed themselves to sort of this half-hearted, but at least um, with the right intentions effort to include voices that that dissented from their particular preferred narrative. Um, Joe Biden wins, and that goes out the window. Now we're in a period of untrammeled, uh, progressive ascendancy—it's—it's it's Marxian in its historical inevitability, and anybody who doesn't abide by or agree with their premises must be anathematized, stigmatized—you know—shuffled off to the side. And NPR is indicative of that sort of thing.
0: Okay, now I want to talk about—I I want to talk about uh, an interesting uh, wrinkle in this regard. But before I do that. I want to tell you about FastGrowingTrees.com, the world's largest online nursery. No more waiting in lines, messy cars, digging through a lackluster selection at a big box store. Just go to FastGrowingTrees.com and choose from thousands of varieties of trees, shrubs, and plants expertly curated to thrive in your area, delivered to your door in one or two days. If you're looking for shade, you're looking for privacy, you're looking for fruit trees, or just added color for your yard, every plant is shipped with a well-developed root system ready to explode with new growth. There's a better way to buy trees and shrubs and plants for your home or yard, fastgrowingtrees.com. Planting season is here. Join over 1 million satisfied gardeners at fastgrowingtrees.com. Plus, the 30-day live and thrive guarantee means your plants will arrive happy, healthy, and ready for planting. Now, through July 31st, go to fastgrowingtrees.com slash commentary for 15% off. That's 15% off at fastgrowingtrees.com slash commentary. fastgrowingtrees.com slash commentary. So guys, um, Gavin Newsom is facing a recall election. Uh, they managed to get these, I don't know, 2 million signatures up to, to, to have a recall election. There was one people remember in 2003 that ousted, uh, Gray Davis, the governor and led to Arnold Schwarzenegger's, uh, gubernatorial, uh, run and, and subsequent two terms as, as governor of California. Um, And we've been told, we were told confidently this was going to fail. It's going to fail. It's ridiculous. You know, he's got, it's going to fail. Guess what? It may not, it may not fail. Um, Big poll, Emerson College comes out. Uh, uh, The first poll they had had uh, 38% in favor and uh, 48, uh, uh, 42 against. Uh, Support for the recall amongst the new survey respondents was at 43%. Well, opposition was at 48, according to the San Francisco SF gate, which I guess is the, I think that's the San Francisco examiners or the Chronicles website, um, Listen to this. The biggest red flag for Newsom was the poll's question, regardless of the recall effort, would you vote to reelect Governor Newsom in 2022, or do you think it is time for someone new? A whopping 58% of voters want someone new, while only 42% are happy with Newsom. Suggesting the governor could be in serious danger in 2022 if his opponent is a Democrat, independent with enough name recognition, or a Republican not closely tied to former President Donald Trump and the National Republican Party... Newsom has blanketed the airwaves with ads comparing this recall to the January 6th Capitol riots. He's had lackluster marks on his handling of wirefires and the drought. And uh, I'm sorry, but uh, there doesn't seem to be that much information on this. But what is the thing that was most notable in national attention for Gavin Newsom in the last year, year and a half? Was, of course, his uh, his venture to the French Laundry uh, in Napa, uh, where he had a big uh, meal, a happy, fun indoor meal at America's best restaurant. I've been to it; it's America's best restaurant, and certainly one of its most expensive restaurants. Uh, unmasked uh, after you know, yelling at everybody about masking. Uh, two things about this: one, polling's bad, and it all shifts in one direction. And the polling in California was terrible because it did not pick up the fact that i think 5 republican seats were recaptured in 2020 as against 2018 in the house one of the reasons that the that the uh, democrats were shocked beyond measure by their showing by poor showing in november so if california polling is as bad as everybody else's polling and the numbers are 43 48 Newsom probably better be subtracting some numbers off that 48, and whoever is against him should be adding numbers to that 43. Uh, This is bad news for Newsom, and I think could be that COVID election that we talked about yesterday. Um, I guess there's two months until the recall, or uh, I don't know, eight, six weeks, seven weeks, something like that. Who knows what's going to happen? It's not going in the right direction for Newsom.
1: I mean, the thing, the weird thing about California's ballot here is that, you know, it's sort of an everybody primary. So Newsom's competing against Republicans and Democrats, apparently. And there's a ton of them running and everybody's splitting the field. Um, We all talk about Caitlyn Jenner. She's sucked up all the oxygen. But Larry Elder's in the field. John Cox, who was on the ballot for Republicans in 2018, I think, 2020, 2018, I think. Um, So there are some big names here, too, but a lot of little ones. And it's like 40 candidates or something like this. I don't know how this field winnows. I don't actually know how this works. Um, But as long as Republicans aren't united against one particular candidate and Democrats are going to be disunited because they have a sitting governor running against a whole bunch of other Democrats, um, Newsom can benefit just from the fractured field. If they had a single unifying candidate, I think he'd be in real trouble. Republicans, that is.
0: I just want to say I was in California in 2003 during the recall and I happened to listen to on the radio in, in, <laughs> in Palo Alto. I listened to the 16 candidate debate. Um, uh, the recall debate in which, uh, the, the big, the, 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 the big conflict was between Ariana Huffington. And Arnold Schwarzenegger, both of them, you know, barely uh, comprehensible with their, you know, her thick Greek accent and his thick German accent. Like, oh, you know, Although you are so funny, and she's like, oh, don't you know right now? And you have no idea what they were talking about. And then, of course, Arnold, Arnold won. I hope there's another uh, couple of debates there because uh, that could be really uh, immense fun. But this is something to watch for, and.
3: Well, and also just in general with California, you know, the, the progressive dream, the, the California dream, uh, there have been in, in this predates the pandemic a bit. If, if you know California people, but it really came to the fore during the pandemic is this debate over whether it really is, uh, you know, is a great place. Is it the future of the country? Or is it actually where a lot of the liberal progressive dreams go to try practical reality and die, uh, uh, die a very clear public death? even though the people who believe in those progressive dreams still cling to them, like universal basic income, like a lot of the environmental stuff we hear about, a lot of these are tested in California and they are found wanting. And so that, as, as, a, as an experiment for progressivism, California has been an absolute and abject failure and people are leaving, including businesses that are leaving that state. So it, in that sense, the, the, it, the recall effort is is perhaps the first wave of a larger reassessment of California's place in our culture too
0: could well be. Well, everybody have a wonderful weekend. Uh, We'll be back with you on Monday for Abe, Christina Noah, I'm John Podhoritz at commentary.org. Keep the candle burning.